And if they're at all happy where they are and what they've become, from selling out to doubling down, let's talk punk rock business and what happens when the two get all mixed up. Here is your host, Bill Florio. Hey, this is Bill Florio. Yo, this is MC Charlie Boswell. Hey, it's Dave Harrison. All right, this was a weird one because it's my friend Dave Wilentz. We've mentioned him on the podcast a bunch of times and no one knows who we're talking about, so now you will. Dave and I were in bands with Dave. I've known Dave for like 30 years. And he was in Charlie's favorite band, Animal Crackers. So. The Crackers. <laughs> so we, we got. But a, he was a, a known as Dave Woolite back then. <laughs> He's got so many stories. I, I really feel like like someone. Everyone will you know. Everyone will find at least one thing they like about this episode because Dave's so likable. And I also feel like I saw something that he posted recently on Facebook, and I'm glad that he touched upon it too, which was like raising more awareness about Tourette's and all of that too, because I think that's such an important part of like who he is, but he's never really let that hold him back at all. Quincy was the first to raise awareness of Tourette's. That's good to know. Learning lots of things today. I mean, I wrote a, a, a column once about Dave and I was like, all right, you know, when you go to like a family event and everyone like thinks you're a little odd, if you ever want to know how they feel, hang out with Dave. <laughs> <laughs> But seriously, he's he's a very unique person. You know, he's a really good friend of ours. But he's working this job. He's doing what he's actually doing what he loves or part of what he loves for work. And you could tell he's, you know, I talked to his coworkers. He's really passionate about it. And it sounds like he does have a different work persona than the squeaky that plays on stage. He's got his shit together at work, apparently. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as frustrating as that may be to some of our friends. <laughs> That's good for survival. Yes, yes. No, he is a survivor and he's a thriver. He's always just doing something. I mean, when at one point Dave was in like six bands at once or something like that. So, you know, he still always couldn't been, remember to bring his busy. guitar when we would play out of state shows. <laughs> like we would get there and we would open the van and we'd be like, Dave, where's your guitar? And he'd be like, oh, I didn't bring it. <laughs> yeah, but is it, that's better because that way he can't leave it. Well, then we could change his strings for him. <laughs> Because he doesn't do that, <laughs> except on stage while everyone is waiting. Exactly. All right. So bu buckle in for this one. That's it. Roll the tape. All right. Dave knows what this is. So <laughs> That's right. So explain who you are and what you do for a living. Well, before I toot my own horn, I just want to say, longtime listener, first time caller, this show <laughs> rocks. <laughs> you guys are great. And you're really doing a service to, you know, the scene and the community. And uh, I really enjoy it. So anyway, my name is Dave Willens. I am the manager of production and delivery at an independent film distributor called Film Movement. We are independent because we don't belong to some conglomerate and we distribute independent films. And that means 
we we don't produce films. We buy films after they're made, and then we put them everywhere you can. In this day and age, well, it's sort of the theaters, but that's compromised by the pandemic and film festivals. And then, of course, you know about the digital stuff, uh, Netflix, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So like Vestron? Yeah, exactly like Vestron. Wait, what's Vestron? That we were talking like about a... Vestron video back in the back in the oh, VHS yeah, yeah. days. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a guy with a Vestron T-shirt the other day, and I've never been more jealous. Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> I, I would, I would, I would also recognize that person. I would probably go up to him and point at him and say, "Nice T-shirt," and they would look at me like a freak, which happens often. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, so uh, we, my job. Um, I'm dealing with the actual film element. So when we acquire a film, when we buy a film, then I'm bringing in all the master, the, you know, in this, again, in this day and age of digital masters, I'm bringing in the actual film. I'm getting the subtitles adjusted. I'm getting the film in and then I'm getting it out to the theaters or to, you know, the various streaming platforms where it has to go. I'm producing DVDs. I'm writing copy for that. I'm doing all kinds, of, you know, like wearing lots and lots of hats. How do you get the films? That's a great story. That's a great question. So, this particular company, Filmament, started with the idea of bringing the film festival house to your house, where they go around to film festivals and acquire films from, you know, all the prestigious film festivals and some of the not so, so prestigious and so forth. But a lot of them started coming from film festivals. We'd acquire them there. In the last several years, we branched out to be not just art house stuff, because most of our stuff was international art house, but now we're doing genre stuff and documentaries and uh so it's a little more diversified um but it's been you know, all kinds of cool stuff so you go to a film festival you watch all these movies you see something you like you find the freaking director of the venue producer and you offer him uh, to buy his movie basically and in in the in the, in the film industry you have what is what are known as simply sales agents who are representing films so a lot of times we're just working with the uh, same sales okay. agents so they have a rep. Exactly. Not okay. always. We do, rep. like you said, we do buy directly from the director or producer and so forth. But yeah, and, and just in addition to... So these reps have like connections with all you distributors. Well, you know, it's that. another facet of the industry. You have over here on this side, you have the distributors and over on the other side, you have the sales agents. And then you have the film festivals we talked about. And then you have the exhibitors like the theaters and so forth. And then... So, so this rep would take you out, uh, your, your distributor, whoever's buying your, your company, would take him out to eat at one of these restaurants that Dave... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would only oh, wait, there's also uh, restaurants that Dave Lentz goes to. Maybe. But those aren't the same. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which one do they take you to more? Well, I mean, I don't get taken out to restaurants. I, there's, you know, a lot of times it'll happen, there'll be like a special film, like a series or a festival that's happening in New York, and all the... The, the sales agents from France or wherever, they're in town for that. And that's when they, they visit and come talk to my boss. So, oh, this doesn't happen now in the pandemic, but it's happened in the past where the whole day you have people coming in and out, having meetings with my boss and they're talking and they're trying to sell their movies to him. Your boss goes to the restaurant and then he gives you all the work. Well, did the boss ever get sick of like meeting with reps and like somebody doesn't like and tells you to pretend you're him <laughs> and then you get taken to the restaurant? Uh, not really, no. Like maybe the rep, the hippie rep from Holland. <laughs> well, I mean, I've gone, you know, I, I've gone to, I went to several times in, you know, several years in a row, I went to the Busan Film Festival, where I would meet with the sales agents there and talk about uh, their films and so forth. And speaking of uh, Busan and Korea and Asia, the other thing I'm doing now is I am a pro 
You always got a connection well, with those Asians. Well, yeah. There's a lot of that. There's going to be a lot of that. If you don't like Dave's connections with Asians, it's not going to be a long podcast. <laughs> yeah, so since 2000, the end of 2016, I've been a programmer at the New York Asian Film Festival, which is you know the leading film festival of Asian films. That's not bigger than the Chinese American Citizens Alliance Film Festival. No, I don't think that exists anymore. <laughs> Wait, sure. when did well, that that's exist? only because Sorry. of the stupid pandemic. There's it, a lot of, you know... They had a lot of good movies like Abacus. Okay, there's a, there's a lot of film festivals. And Tested. This film festival has been around since 2002. And Have you ever heard of Abacus? Yeah, I've heard of it. I don't know if I saw it, though. Oh, yeah, but you Abacus know, you know the documentary. The, you know the Sung Sisters? The documentary. Yeah. Uh, that, I really yeah. want to see it. It sounds great. Do you know the Sung Sisters? The, the movie or the actual sisters? The sisters that were sued by the no, I don't bastard. know them. But uh, wait, wait, could, could I, we could we get a little background here? I want to hear about this. Yeah, go, I ahead, do. go ahead, Charlie. You, you tell tell the story. Abacus's documentary just, about uh, some crazy things that happened in, in a Chinatown bank. A bank, yeah. Abacus, it's like a Chinatown bank. It's kind of like I mean, I'm like in the same way Dave's an independent strip is kind of independent bank, not part of a big conglomerate. So when they had this uh, meltdown in 2008, you know, and all these. There's problems with the financial sector. All these other banks are bailed out, but this guy in uh, the DA, the Manhattan DA, he came down and he tried to put them out of business. You know, picked on the little guy, but they fought back, and the Sung Sisters they won. That sounds good. I watch that. Yeah. What does it have to do of, with that abacus stuff? Uh, no, it's a it's a documentary that came out a few years ago. I think Charlie's honing in on it because it's a, it's about China, well Chinese Americans I guess but it's about this Chinatown bank and it's, you know, it sounds fascinating I still have yet to see it in addition to all the film stuff I mentioned I am a long-standing rock and roller punk rocker <laughs> play guitar in a bunch of bands and so forth yeah but you didn't make any money doing that no I know but well, hold I, on hold on you, you did have the chimpanzees you don't make any money doing podcasts yeah. either you did but have chimpanzees not- and I got like a two hundred dollar check once from chimpanzees. Good for you. So did, I, I feel like you got su- paid something there at some point. You, you had probably a... got paid more than I did. <laughs> I mean, well, the, yeah, point, you, the point, the you point had, here. You had a, 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 uh, a Japanese superstar singing that's for that true. band. Yeah. But that, but that was probably the only time you had. And, and she loved Candy yes. Snatchers. No, that's different. Who different doesn't? person. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but doesn't? wasn't Ted Leo was also in Animal Crackers, right? I mean. And now he's famous. Exactly. So, like, well, I mean, is he I'm really mentioning punk rock, Bill? Because that's the whole the whole premise of this podcast is punk well, rockers well, and their jobs, right? Yeah, but what? So, I want what I want to get at is, okay. you know, you didn't just play in bands; you did thrashing mad. That's right. Tape compilations, right? That's, and wow. you, you traded with a lot of people all over the world, and you just make mixtapes, right? Basically, I, I, I'm amazed. I thought I was the only person who knew that. Like you, well, you got to have someone to trade with. Well, yeah, I mean, this is going way back. So uh, I'm really, uh, I really appreciate that Bill remembers this. It's and it's all accurate. <laughs> um, and one thing I would do is I would, I, so I'd put together, um, de- you know, uh, tape comps, and I'd trade with people for records and stuff. And I, you know, they'd sell the tape comp wherever, and I'd sell the record. And back in the, what was that? Uh, what do they call that stuff? Power violence. I had all the power violence records because of that stuff. Before they called them. it that, probably. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I guess they put out some records, too. So we would trade records for records. And 
I'd sell them at ABC and Rio and stuff. Didn't you tell me that you traded once with Felix Havoc and he traded you for like a joint? No, very close. So Felix <laughs> Havoc. Felix Havoc's a straight edge, I think. So I don't think that's right. <laughs> he's maybe now he's straight edge, but um, basically. <laughs> I met, if I'm not mistaken, I met Felix Havoc in Maryland when we were both around 18, 19. And he, yeah, he bought like a tape for like a dollar fifty and a half a hit of acid. Oh, okay. <laughs> I knew there was something there. <laughs> so, Dave, how did you get into film? Like, how did, I know, did you go to, did you go to school for film? Well, so I, I went late to the new school where I did a concentration in film studies. Um, but I've always, you know, everyone that knows me knows I've always been kind of a crazy film film buff, film fanatic. Um, but you worked in a video store for years. I worked in a video store, you know, when I was 19. And then you worked for Larry on. Clark, right? I did. That's correct. But he I wasn't worked. making films. No, that was, he was, that was when he was, you know, he was a photographer first. And so he had a, when I came on, he had a retrospective show and he had still had his books that he was selling. And it was only after I was working for him that he ventured into making kids and so forth that sounds um, weird making kids the movie kids the movie kids yes <laughs> he, he didn't actually make the any film. kids did he he has a couple kids <laughs> oh okay <laughs> yeah yeah but they're they're grown now but you know this is a while ago hopefully it didn't turn out like the one no i don't think i hope so. not no i don't think so <laughs> uh yeah but so to yeah to answer your question dave um ever since i was a kid i love watching movies on tv and stuff and i gravitated early on to horror and cult and so forth and I just sort of eventually cultivated a film buff sort of awareness of it and was always into it and gravitated towards it. When I was in my early 20s, I was a production assistant on a bunch of things and so forth. And I Did you ever go to Gore Gazette night at the time? I never went there, but I did um, communicate with Rick Sullivan, who's passed away by now. He did? Oh, that's sad. Um, from the Gore Gazette. Uh, he used to like sell VHS tapes of obscure cult movies, and so I think I ordered some from him. And I used to read his magazine pretty, you know, often. He doesn't look like what you'd think he'd look like. I don't know. I mean, yeah. But so, 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 so what, when did you decide to go to college for film? And what, what, what got you to make that decision? Yeah, so in... God, let me think. I had sort of floundered around until I was around twenty. Eight and I had always always had an interest in Asian culture, as we mentioned, and I had on and off studied Chinese. And I was like, you know what? Let me go over to Taiwan, so I could become conversational. And I went over there and I studied for about three years, and then I came back to the to New York, and I'm like, I guess I should go to school and study something. Why don't I study uh, film studies? And then I did that. And then uh, towards the end of that was, you know, I did the regular like four years, basically. And at the end of that, I interned at another distribution company. And that led me to hooking up with New Yorker Films, which was one of the oldest independent distribution companies. And I worked there for three years. And then I ended up working at Film Moment, where I am now. And there you go. So you started late, but... If you Very compare late. yourself to your coworkers, it's is it similar? Is a similar path? Yeah, I got you. Mean the coworkers, how their path to the yeah, film did, industry? Did they did they go to film school? Did they work in film? A lot of people do. Not always are film majors, but a lot of people will you know intern and and link that way. Um, uh, some people will you know be associated with film festivals or so forth. I'm trying to think. Yeah, like my boss was not a 
film studies person, but uh, pretty much everyone in some form or another is what we would say film literate, um, whether they actually majored in it or minored in it or... So no, nobody hates film there. And just like, this is just, I like the distribu- distribution part. Right, right. <laughs> no, no. Well, there are people that, that don't have a background but have an affinity for it. And then there are, for example, we have our the, the newest um, person on our staff, you know, went to SUNY Purchase, I think, for film studies. So she's, and she's very knowledgeable and, you know, very into it. So, like like myself. Someone told me that at work they call you Bave. Oh, I don't know where that came from, but that's but true. But they call you Bave? They, 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 <laughs> so, so my, one of my coworkers has a way with words, and he likes to make things up. And I really don't know where that came from, but he started say, calling me Bave for some reason. <laughs> well, and, when, when I first met you, everyone called you Dave Lentz. Yeah. And then... I realized that all whole other side of like the more arty punk scene culture is squeaky. That's right. And and I never understood why. You never understood <laughs> and why. And no one ever called you squeaky in the hardcore scene. You you know you know, you don't know the background of that. I nickname? do know the background. Oh, I want okay. you to tell me. <laughs> right. So when I was about 14, 13, 14, I was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome. I have a mild case of Tourette syndrome, and it doesn't mean coprolily. It doesn't mean I just curse incessantly or whatever. Like on Quincy? Yeah. Well, wait, that happened on Quincy? Yeah. The guy was cursing oh, in the I movie. I didn't see that episode. And then when he was cursing the movie, they're like, shut up. And he got in a fight and he but got that, beat up. But that's and on TV, because... so that must have been all beeping. Like, beep. <laughs> <laughs> or he was just saying really mild things. Like, he was like, oh, crud. Tourette's syndrome is a, is a neurological disorder where there's an imbalance of the inhibitory things in your brain. So there's a sort of uh, an imbalance of your inhibitions. And it could lead to motor tic, like the simple tics, which is the motor tics and the vocal tics. And then there's a complex tics which in, encompasses things like OCD and and other kind of compulsive thoughts and so forth. So, yeah, I don't have the, the cursing thing, but I do all kinds of other weird things, motor tics. And the squeaky nickname comes from vocal tics, where I would make high-pitched squeaking noises. Um, and, you know, my case is mild enough that you know me for, for a long time and maybe not even know it if I didn't tell you. I didn't know it until we were on a flight in like 2000, like year 2000. We went to that uh, wow. Minneapolis. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the name of that festival with um, um, that Travis was the Raman? One that Travis put on. I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> Rock but, but, something. Yeah, yeah. So rock action or something like that yeah something like that there was a hurricane and our plane got grounded and we got like one of those like free hotel rooms i had to stay with dave oh, and yeah. I, thought, I thought the radiator was leaking <laughs> and, I, and then i realized oh shit i finally heard you squeak <laughs> so you you knew about it but you would never notice no before. i never noticed uh, it at all because i was never in a quiet place with you right, we were always like in right. bands together at shows i yeah. want to touch so. upon uh, upon bill's bad luck flying to the midwest because when i flew to uh, the midwest with bill <laughs> Our, like, engine fell off our plane, and we had to stop at a different that, airport. That's way worse. We got to watch, like, I think Bill and I watched that uh, that movie about the... Double the, uh, like X or whatever? Yeah, or? the movie about the, the, the brothers that they made the green, behind the green door. Yeah, oh, no, Mitchell Mitchell like the Sheen Brothers. Like the, starring Vin no, Diesel. No, no, it was like the Sheen Brothers, the like Mitchell HBO brothers. It was movie, the Sheen yeah. Brothers doing the Mitchell Brothers, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that's that, right. that, that's what I did at Dave's at Dave's um, almost near death experience. We were I going to see Chuck Berry. Yeah, we and I scrolled through all of Rick to Life's uh, posts <laughs> in the airport. That's all and then and then Bill was the only one that afterwards he goes he goes like I think he told me like two weeks later he's like I got I got I complained and got my entire credit like flight credited back to me. And I was like, oh, wait, wow. what? <laughs> that's okay. I would have rather not. Of that happened, and then we also then we fell like four floors in an elevator like three days later too. Whoa. With the that's the one John that Matt Land. got stuck in. Yeah, no, 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 that's a different elevator. No, the, the elevator at the hotel it like dropped like four floors while we were in it. Oh, that bachelor party's a big. That's a big reason why I don't drink anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes! That that must have been terrifying. Yeah, I, I I tried to heckle Chuck Berry, and I thought he was going to jump off stage and kill me. That was the scary I, part of I my would, trip. That's the last person I would try to heckle. Come on. I, I saw would, Chuck Berry in the, 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 the late 80s um, for free. I was, like, really close. I was right up at the stage. He was playing at a hotel at the American Booksellers Association convention when he released his autobiography. That was amazing. Was he in tune? Yeah, I think so. And he had relatives. He had, like, his you know grandson on the drums yep. and his granddaughter singing. Or I forget, but... They were great. Yeah, he it didn't was, give a shit. Yeah. He didn't give a shit by the time we saw him. I think it was like yeah. his second to last show. It was. The guy was, probably played like five thousand shows. Ac- at that according point. to Dave Despaz, he didn't give a shit in the eighties either. No, <laughs> so only half as much as Chicken John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he 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 was he was really good. Well, so so so, do you think that that you said you know one of the symptoms of Tourette's can be to become kind of obsessed with things? Do you think that has influenced your obsession with film or Asian culture or music? Like, do you think that sure. that's a byproduct? I think it might be. I mean, I think, you know, whatever we are, it's, it's all a part of us. So it is um, manifested by something that has been cataloged as a neurological disorder. But I think that's very astute what you say, Dave, because I, I, yeah, I, I do think that that's, you know, it's a Mobius strip of personality. So there you go. Does that make sense? I think it works for you well, actually. Yeah, I was just saying, it's the thing, it's one of the things that I'm most impressed by with you is that you know so much about, and maybe it's just because I, like a lot of the same things you do, but even with like music stuff, like you've probably forgotten more than I ever knew. But although I don't think you forget <laughs> things either, so like that's kind of weird. A lot, but that's really that's really nice to hear. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and and Dave and Dave and I were in recording studio with you a few times, and and I know there's one obsession you had where you always wanted to like rip the tape off the reel, right? That that, that that's actually that's actually a, a story from. Um, when I was in a band called the Hot Corn Girls with Bob Nozawa. It's in one there. of the songs. Yeah, because I told him, I kind of made the mistake of telling him that, <laughs> you know, um, that it was a confession that that's just kind of, here's the thing. You're, you're, you think about things you're not supposed to think about. It's, it, it can be terribly, it can be terrifying. And it happens to me all the time. And it would be things like this. You would be sitting there. And if anyone out there in Radioland has been into a recording studio back in you know the '90s or before, you would have reel-to-reel tape. And I would see that, and I would get this feeling like, oh, I gotta take the tape and pull it off the reel and destroy everything because you're not supposed to do that. And so my imbalance of inhibition is telling me that, and it's and I don't want to do that, but. It's it's a terrible uh, maybe it's a Freudian thing even you know with the id and all that um, and it, it can get way worse. There's a lot of terrible thoughts that come into my mind that I don't like that I don't want to repeat. Did you ever but try it, and train it in the other direction, like to maybe change your guitar strings? Ha 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 ha! ha. <laughs> oh boy, this is a sore spot, guys. <laughs> I try to change guitar strings as few times as possible. 
That uh, that is true. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> and, also and think usually like, it's right in the middle of our set. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you perfect. something. I'll tell you something that, that, that Dean Rispel had a story about the the Waldo. Um, what's his name? Um, the guy uh, Walter, Walter who just passed away. He said that he did a guitar tech for them, and he and he gave Walter gave him the guitar, and he took it. And he goes. When's the last time you changed his strings? It goes, mm, 1980? <laughs> <laughs> so I felt pretty good when I heard that because I definitely do it more frequently than that. That's true, but I do remember when we when you broke a string when we were opening for Guitar Wolf and the crowd was like not happy about it at all because it took a really long time. No, uh, and at, oh, well. at, at, that, at that Minneapolis Fest, you broke a string every single song. Oh, I know. That, 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 let, <laughs> it let's, was, yeah, that way. That, it was not, Dave, not a good, yeah. crazy. Yeah. Dave yeah. Spaz, like, were you doing that intentionally no, to drive Dave Spaz crazy? Technical issue. I think your your Tourette's has like ups and downs here and there, right? So I think that was at, at an up that week. So okay, can you tell us something else you did to intentionally drive Dave the Spaz crazy? <laughs> I never, I never, I never intentionally, I never meant to drive it just him crazy. Comes it naturally. Just comes naturally. <laughs> For the record, we sped up this podcast on purpose. <laughs> he hates the way this is edited. Let's just say it. it's not hard. It's not hard. Dave, Dave, uh, Dave, Dave, it's, Dave is a great DJ, so no, Dave I, I take his word for it. I, 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 if you're out there listening, hello, my friend. <laughs> He's not listening. He told us he can't listen to it anymore. It pains him. Wow. <laughs> Whatever Dave Valence has, Dave the Spass has the opposite thing. That's the problem. Yeah, exactly. I think if we like interviewed a chimp in a tuxedo, he'd listen again. He definitely would. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, as as far as um, the other thing was, you know, it, you have all the, you know, so you're physiologically a little different. But then you, you also grew up, I think, in a very unique uh, situation, right? Your parents were kind of like, kind of like drivers of culture for Thank a long you. time before you were born. So we want, we want to talk a little bit about that. So yeah, my father had a pioneering bookshop in uh, the village, in the West Village called the HB Bookshop. He and his brother opened it and it became a haven for the beat scene. And in addition to the bookshop, he had a small printing press where he would do, you know, literature. And he would, for example, they did a, um, a book of, they published a book of poetry by Jack Kerouac. And so all those kind of people, Ginsburg and Kerouac and so forth were it's sort of like our you know our music scene was well, my father had his own you know literary scene and the beat scene and he was a big part of that and um so growing up and my mother you know also who's a science writer but she uh she did work with my my father on the small press and so forth and she's you know also art artistic and and literally minded literary minded. So growing up without realizing it, of course, until I you know, became sort of of age, so to speak, there was culture around or there was the idea of open mind towards culture, which I don't know if everyone grows up with. So I didn't really, you know, the other cool thing about my parents was they, they never tried to um, force feed anything on us. So I grew up gravitating to Frankenstein and Dracula and so forth and the movies and all that and not necessarily poetry and stuff. But having all that stuff around and then discovering punk rock when I was, you know, a teenager, it was welcome to my parents, I guess. Before I was born, my dad had this like stray cat that would attack everybody. And then, you know, when I was about to be born, they decided to get rid of it. Was there like a no Allen Ginsberg rule in the house? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, there was there was something like that. I, I will tell you know. Um, do you know who Lawrence Ferlinghetti is? Yeah, he just died recently. Right, he he died. He was like 101. So when I was you know in high school, he visited. He stayed with my uh, stayed in my house. He was a friend of my parents. So that kind of stuff was around us, and it's sort of like. If you're growing up around it, you're like no big deal because it's you know it's not a part of your particular uh, frame of reference. Other than that, oh, these are friends of my parents. But then looking back, you're like, wow, that's kind of kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, your your dad was like the Ian Mackay of the beat scene or something, or the Steve Albini of the beat scene. Yes, of. exactly. To answer your your question, Dave, my mom, my parents both told me about having parties and and Allen Ginsberg brought Bob Dylan to the to their party and they and then and they said he was really quiet and then like the next thing you know it he was a big star yeah so there was stuff like that and then my my cousin um who so my father and his brother opened the bookshop and then um my cousin is now a prominent Princeton history professor but he got introduced to Bob Dylan and his music through my father. And he is now Bob Dylan's archivist. I mean, he's, you know, a big Bob Dylan proponent. And he wrote a really cool biography of him. Well, if you Google Dave, David Wilentz, yes. um, you get I was gonna ask the, the same question. prosecutor Jesus. for the Lindbergh <laughs> trial. Correct. Uh, who definitely killed you an innocent man. <laughs> You really you, you, he wasn't you, you, innocent. You really think that, that that you really think he was wrongly accused? There's no way he was innocent. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with Bill. I don't think Bruno did I it. I don't think he did it. I, I mean, I think he was involved, th- but I don't think do you, he did it. You, but do you think? Okay, he was a patsy. So here, so here's. The- <laughs> hold on, hold on, Dave. Just, just let's clear this up. What he has, he is related to you. He was related to you. So I never met the man, but he's totally related to me. He's um, my father always told me that everyone with the, the name Wilentz is related, and as far as I know, that is true. Um, I mean, no one's really disproven it. So no one's changed their name to Wilentz on purpose. Well, yeah, I mean, there's certain, <laughs> certain people. I think people have married into Wilentz, but uh, like my my wife. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, no, so yes, yeah, so he's some kind of. I don't know what the relationship is. Some kind of cousin or something. Or I mean, he's much older than me. But uh, yes, and I'll tell you a funny little story. Is I was in the the Lower East Side in the nineties. And I walked by a shop that sold like stationery and other things, and they had a nameplate in the window, and it said David T. Valens. And I said, "What?" I, I went, went in the door and I said, "What? That's my name on there." And he said, "I'll sell it to you for fifty bucks." <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe your cousin or whatever ordered it yeah, and just never picked it up. Said, yeah, I, I, I was like, "Why did they have that? It was so weird." His middle initial was also T, like mine, but they. I don't know what his T stands for. In fact, I think his T might be Theodore, which was my father's name. But anyway, yeah, I don't know about that. Yes, he's one of the most famous Wilentzes because of the prosecution. And then your, and your mom we, was like the first female editor of Popular Science? You know what? I'd have to check with her. <laughs> <laughs> I think your mom told me that. So oh, then it's I think it's true. I think your mom told me that directly. <laughs> she um she definitely worked for Popular Science. Like she was a math teacher. Then she ended up uh, becoming a, a writer for them. Yeah, my mom's amazing. So she it wasn't all, all art. It wasn't all art around you. There was some exactly. science too. 
Well, see, that's the amazing thing about my mom is that she has an affinity for both math, science, and aesthetics and art and so forth. She's also a big film buff. Does she like some of the work that you've done? You mean like some of the movies that the company worked at? Yeah. Have you, do you share those? Yeah. Have, yes, have you shared those? Yes. Yes. Well, so one of the things our company does is we have a um, film, or you could say DVD of the month club, where you subscribe like a magazine and you get it before it's released to the general retail. And ever since I just started the company, my mom joined the club and she was watching the movies for a long time, but now she's got a stockpile. She's just like, she's busy watching, you know, streaming other things or she hasn't watched it. We've mentioned this brick thing a few times sure. on the podcast. Oh, I think you man. should clear up what happened on no your problem. side of the story. <laughs> the brick story. You were doing Kung Fu, right? No. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've studied Kung Fu, but I was not doing any Kung Fu that night. I don't know. <laughs> shall, shall I go ahead? Yes, yeah, please. Okay, so this is probably... So, Bill, do you remember what year this was? 90 or 91? 92? Probably 91, probably. Okay, maybe 91. So, um, Akiko, who Bill knows, um, some people here might know, uh, old friend of mine. I know. You know her. Akiko, right. So Akiko, Akiko was one of the one of the two Bug Outside fans that come, came to a lot of our shows that we didn't know who, who she was. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Wow, yeah. Akiko's very cool. So Akiko's an old friend of mine, and I was old friends with the band Christ in a Crutch. And so Akiko and I decided to go out to Seattle together and hang out with Christ in a Crutch. And the first night we were there, we knew that Born Against, our friends Born Against and um, Rorschach were on tour, and they were going to play with Christ in a Crutch in Seattle. Anyway, we get there and we go, um, anyway, go to their apartment and whatever. And then we go to the show and the show is at like this youth center slash arcade for rent. I don't know. Jerry from Christ and a Crutch. I think he was telling me like a lot of people are causing trouble in the area and so forth. Anyway, as uh, one person had once said, I got my attitude adjusted. In other words, <laughs> meaning, meaning, you know, like the guy, I, I, I interviewed this guy who had been a... a so your Kung Fu's nothing compared to this No, guy. I haven't got, even gotten to the break. I interviewed this guy who was early collaborated with Graham Parsons. He interviewed, he, they turned him on to country music and he would say, we would get our attitude adjustment and adjusted and then we would jam. So my attitude was heavily adjusted by the time we got to the the show and they're hanging out in front of the show and I was talking to Char Charles from the Rorschach and everyone and having a good time. And then these uh, local uh, guys came up to me and Jerry and they said, Hey boy. And that's all I remember. And I and then, woke and then up. you were in the hospital. I woke up. No, I woke that's up. All in you car. remember? I woke up in the car. I was like, back, you know, my, my head was looking up and I'm like, where, where, what's going on? And they're like, Oh, you know, some guys attacked us and, you know, you, you got knocked out. And uh, the story, so I didn't really see much. So I'm really not the good eyewitness, <laughs> but um, what I heard. Somebody said you got shot. That, so here's the thing. Apparently these guys came up and they didn't like all the, the, the white boys hanging out at the youth center or something. I don't know that, that this was kind of like a Maybe thing. Maybe they were mad because you, you displaced their Pac-Man. <laughs> but so what I heard was that after... Like I, one story I heard was um, Keith from Rorschach. I guess he was in the van or something. And then there was gunshots. And then he came out and he saw that I was on the ground and he thought I got shot or something. But uh, yeah, I, I think what probably happened is maybe somebody hit me from the front or behind and I just passed out. I don't think everyone will ever solve this mystery. Was there a police report? No. Oh, there was. Man. You know, I'm glad there were no police. 
I think the police would have made it worse. Your, your attitude would have been adjusted yet again. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Did, so you went to the hospital? I was taken to the hospital, and then my friends all left me in the hospital. And I sat in the hospital for hours and hours, and the hospital sucked. Like the, the, the nurse, <laughs> there was one nurse that was really nice, but the doctor was a total dick. And then I had like that's I how it always is. exactly. And then I had to walk home with stitches. You know, five in the morning, and you know, I don't even know where I was, but I figured it out. You should have got a plastic surgeon. Oh, well, you saying that my nose is too big? (laughs) (laughs) If Chris Pelletieri was there, you would have had a plastic surgeon. You didn't have a bandmate to like hang out at the hospital. Yeah, that's okay. It's a good story. It's hard to think of that kind of stuff after you get by a brick. So, Dave, I have to ask, on the uh, Facebook Budget Rock group, someone posted the Stallions album recently, and it got a huge amount of attention. Like, do you are you surprised that people are still, like, super into that? I mean, that album's great, by the way, but, I mean, are you surprised that people are still, like, excited about that? And, and uh, is that, like, your... What's your crowning musical achievement? Oh, that's a good question. I I, I love that band. Um, that was for, the aforementioned Akiko was in that band, and my friend Masayo and Dave Cruz and my friend Rick Hall. That band was so much fun. That was like we all, you know, got together and more, you know, more or less agreed on our musical direction, and it, it really, it really did gel and come together. And I, you know, Masayo turned out to be a really good songwriter, and we had a lot of good time in really short time, which is kind of the rock and roll way to do it. You know, in a year and a half, you know, you put out an album and play a bunch of shows and get a little bit of notice. Didn't the you put out a single that you don't own a copy of? Yeah. I don't know if I have a copy of that, <laughs> but it's a great, but it's great. You know, I recommend all the people out there in Radio Land to look for the stallion. Someone buy Dave a copy, please. <laughs> someone, I mean, buy, someone buy Dave a copy of his own album. Dave, how, many, how many copies do you have? Of the, of the seven inch? I have one. I only have one. Okay. <laughs> but I do That's have it. So I'd send one of yours to Dave. Well, Maybe I don't, I'll I don't do have that. extra. He only has one. No, no, you keep it. Keep it, keep it. I, I look, it's okay. I think it's I think we it's on YouTube, so I can listen to it if I, I want. I do have I do have a, a version of Hey Baby on LP and and C D. So if you need that, I can give you one of those. Oh, okay. No, I'm I think I'm good. But um to answer your question, Dave, um the fact that there's a budget rock group at all. You know, that's it's interesting because it's like we were saying about uh, power violence. You know, I probably maybe I was telling power violence records before it was even called power violence. You know, maybe no one was calling budget rock budget rock when I was in the stallions. So the fact that there's a group like that is great. And the fact that they're bringing, you know, attention to the stallions and the drags and all those bands and stuff. I love it. I'm really happy to be a part of it. And of course, it's, a, it's thrilling that people point that out because it was it was uh, something that we all really enjoyed. And that's key. Speaking of recording, I have something to reveal. I don't think we've ever told you. but Told me? Yeah, oh, no. about no, your Tourette's. Oh, you recorded me squeaking or something? <laughs> no, no, that that's true. That happened on the Shemp's report. That was very unfortunate. Someone, someone recorded a squeak and it, it set you off. But Wow, I don't remember. <laughs> Jesse was there. He had to erase the squeak because every time we got to the end of the tape, you like uh, it made you I go could off. see that. I could see that because it would trigger me wanting to make a high pitched sound that I couldn't make, probably, which would be really annoying. <laughs> That's what it's like, man. Yeah, no, I get it. So, but but I think that you had a thing about not being able to like punch a whole song, like if we weren't all playing together. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, so like if we weren't all playing live, there was like a problem where it's like you had a hard time like. 
concentrating or whatever. So this is um, on the little seizures. Uh, 45. Yeah. So so the oh. night before we recorded the whole record without you. Uh oh. And then we. You thought we were in other closets playing, but we weren't. We were just sitting eating. <laughs> we were pretending that we were in other rooms playing. <laughs> Wait, I, I and we watched you we watched you record the whole thing and you did great. <laughs> Wait, so did here's the thing. Did I did on the recording, the final recording that you're talking about from this session, which I don't remember, is it is it me playing guitar or is it someone else? No, it's you. You're playing. Okay. Then I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. We had a strategy. That is really interesting. I don't. I have no memory of this. I mean, where was this recording? Because it was a Matt, right. Matt, you know, Matt, our drummer thing. was a was a you know really good recording yes. engineer. So he was like, "All right, you know what? I am not going to sit here for a whole day and have you guys not be able to play the whole song." And then, so all of us will go in, and then Dave got it perfect in one take. <laughs> Next day, just believing that we we're all playing together. So, Dave, this is a kind of like a paraphrase i got from your coworker. okay yeah you know, he basically said that you're the guy who makes sure everything happens in the office you hold everyone accountable and you were like the most organized of everyone in the office <laughs> that's awesome uh, okay. that, that doesn't sound like the Dave we know. <laughs> I know it doesn't sound I like mean, the Dave. I feel that like I you've, know. you've you've lost your guitar a bunch of times. <laughs> I almost. I mean, almost. I think. I mean, so did Gam once. <laughs> We've mentioned that before. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> it wasn't your fault, no. But thank thank goodness for you, Bill. I think there was one time where you you remembered, and um, yeah. I think um, I think after that part, I just was like, all right, I'm going to remember. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. is, that, is that true? Is, is it is it like are, I, what I'm getting at, though, is there yes. like a Dave at work? Right. And then a Dave at I'm going to help out at the film festival or play in a band. Like, do you do you take it? Do you just take it differently? Like, you know, that's, a, that's a wonderful question. Um, it is kind of true. And it boggles my own mind because I find myself being you know, into some respect. I mean, in, if you're inside my mind and inside my body, you'll feel like you won't feel necessarily like you're that organized. But then there is the the need to make sure that everything happens the way it's supposed to be and, and keeping tabs on things. And I think all of us, to the best of our ability, acclimate to that need or desire. And I find myself stepping up to the plate a lot in my job because my job is, you know, somewhat demanding because we're not a big company, but there's a lot of hats to wear, as I mentioned earlier, and there's a lot of stuff to do. So um, I do find myself having to keep tabs on people and other things. Um, it's it's not without my own patented version of kind of nutty professor kind of idiosyncrasies. Okay, so it sounds like a yes. Uh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I no, mean, that's, that's, that's really interesting, though. And, but as far as the film festival, though, you're more like... Hosting panels and helping with, uh, you, you know, run the our, festival. No, no I don't you, run the you festival. kind of like help out with like more creative things. It sounds like. So the film festival, I'm one of the programmers. Um, there is so we have a director, an executive director, two other uh, two associate programmers, and then I'm a programmer. So there's five of us that are working on the programming, and that is watching a lot of films most for me especially mostly on on screeners what do you mean on screeners screeners means they'll give you an advanced screening copy in this era that would be a, a digital like a vimeo link or something 
it's where you're watching it on your computer or you, you know, you get a file. That sucks. Yeah, it's exactly like that. It's like a demo. So you're watching the movie there and then you're, you know, you're giving your feedback on it based on all kinds of factors of why you think it's worth showing um, based on the How could you tell if it's thing. not on the big screen? That's a great question, Charlie. <laughs> it's, I think that we've all seen enough movies to make the judgment of how it would tra- you know how it would translate to the big screen and that's a really interesting question because right now this year the New York Asian Film Festival is doing a hybrid edition which will I don't like hybrid doing. hybrid not the hybrid car I'm talking about no I don't like those either <laughs> what's that and I especially don't like those all electric cars <laughs> but I, I talk about hybrid like hybrid learning in schools and well stuff. I don't know about hybrid learning so let me go back to the film festival situation okay. which would be some in theater showings and some digital and a lot of digital showings, which is mostly what it's going to be. So we actually had an exercise where we're like, here's our selection so far. We have our short list. We have the films we've already booked because our festival is um, August 6th to the August 22nd. So we're getting close. Okay. So, so you're going to have some so in the exactly. theater. So we're, we, we can only have so many in the theater. So we're like, which ones do we show in the theater? And we had to, you have to think about Yeah, but then some of them will be streamed and people watch them at home. Yes, that's been happening. That sounds like, yeah, but that's like, you know, then people be like, oh, I could just stay home. I don't have to go to the theater. Well, that's been, you know, since the pandemic happened, we all had to make compromises. And that was a big compromise that the film festival circuit has had to make because mostly it's been, I mean, obviously it's mostly been uh, streaming. But uh, it's interesting you. because in my in my jo- in my job at Film Movement as the you know the film distribution company, surprisingly, when the pandemic hit, we actually bounced back pretty well because we were able to revert to streaming. And, I see this like at Film Forum; they send me these links like okay in theater or streaming. But I want to go in the theater. I don't want to stream anything. Well, that's good. That's you, but you might. Not I don't be even the... like this. I don't even like this DCP. Well, DCP is any film you're going to see today. Basically. I like the 35 millimeter prints. Well, what, what are you going to see? Uh, you know, uh, what's Harold Lloyd? Yeah, Harold Lloyd. If you go to see Harold Lloyd, you might see a 35 millimeter. You might even see a 60 millimeter print. No, no. <laughs> yeah, well, I think Quentin Tarantino still does his on film, right? That last movie was funny. Yeah, no, he and he has that theater, the New Beverly, which is almost all 35 millimeter. Yeah, you're getting a boost here, right? Do you think a lot, you know, because of the, you know, peop- the the virtu- the hybrid version, do yes. you think more people will come next year? Do you, what do you mean? Like in person? Do you think you know, it'll we boost hope, the in person? Well, you know, it's really tricky because, you know, certainly we hope You're so. cannibalizing yourself. No, it, you know, we're trying to adjust to the world situation because certainly we hope so. There's the question of can we do full capacity versus, you know, social distancing capacity? And so, as I was saying, we had to think about which films do we think need to be on the big screen for maybe because there's such a beautiful panoramic cinematic quality to them that they deserve to be seen that way or because there are cultural um, resonance to it that it needs to be seen that way. There's a lot of factors to consider. I have a solution for you, Dave. Sorry, I have a solution for you. Okay. So I think you have room in your apartment for a big screen TV. If you take down the painting with the sheet over it. <laughs> right, so that painting, that painting that you're talking about is years ago gone. Oh, Charlie, you ever, you ever pull up that yes, sheet? I saw it from the window. 
Oh, really? <laughs> you didn't come inside the apartment? Hell no, I was scared. Why? Because <laughs> I wasn't going to fall for that when you said, oh, I'm having an Asian film festival, and you, and the girl gets there, and it's your TV, and it's just, where's everybody else? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, that's better than, wait, hold it's on. It's not going to work anymore. Give it up. What? All I know is there was oh. a sheet there, and I pulled the sheet up, and there was a painting of a naked man. There was a painting of a naked man. <laughs> there was Peter Sheldahl, who was a art critic, at the New York Times for years and years, and so somehow that painting entered my entered my parents' uh, art collection, and it was on that wall. And then at some point, everyone became embarrassed of it and covered up with a sheet. And eventually, the painting got taken away. Got where taken is it away now? by who? Who knows? I don't remember where. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember who got the painting. Well, somebody won. I, hope, I hope Rick Hall got it. No, I don't think so. It is now hanging somewhere else with a sheet over it. I think actually, actually, I think it, it might have got. I'm not sure, but I would say maybe it got donated to like some institution or something, or maybe someone bought it. I don't know. Wait, so I'm going to ask the question that that I was going to ask that was more about the the New York Asian Film Festival. Oh, great. Do you feel like um, you know the the average mainstream movie? film watcher is like is is becoming more diversified in in what they'll watch i mean obviously that's i feel like exemplified by parasite winning best picture do you feel like there's been a bump for asian movies as a result of that or is it not affecting genre movies as much i've resigned myself to the fact that you know the general audience is going to like what they like and you know they're yeah i told this to this guy one time i just this artist was telling me that Hollywood it was like a lecture and he's like Hollywood has done everybody a bad service by not putting out art movies and I told them listen if Hollywood put out art movies everybody be going to watch Tractor Paul and nobody be in the movie theater <laughs> uh, I, I can tell you in Kentucky a lot of people go see Tractor Paul anyway see that's my year so. <laughs> there'd but be I mean, less like, people in the movies and more people at the Tractor Paul that's all that would result in it. something else about your you know obsession with film um, mm-hmm. Did the car? Did the guards ever care? <laughs> we were, we were. It was like five, seven o'clock in the morning, and we were all asleep at someone's house on tour. And Dave popped a movie in, <laughs> and was, and, and then was just commenting about the movie. And I can't remember exactly, but I, I think it was, it was I, some I, women in prison. That's all so I remember. So I'll tell you. I'll tell, I'll tell you exactly what it was. Was so, it Russ Myers? No, no. But did you uh, you brought the movie with you to watch though? I it wasn't so. like at the person's house. We know we were at um the drummer. We were at how how we were at how. How McLean's house from Jew Driver. My memory is that this was all voluntary. I wasn't, you know, an ambush. <laughs> but I had the DVD of the first one in the series, Seven to One Prisoner Scorpio or Scorpion or whatever it's called. And the star of this, she was in a lot of movies like that. Her name is uh, her name in the Japanese um, name orders. Uh, Kaji Mako, and in the West you would say Mako Kaji. You know, they they put the the family name first in Japan, and she at this time was iconic for for playing this really stoic badass woman who you know took revenge on everyone that had she'd been you know wrongly uh, accused and put into prison and abused so much and those movies are crazy so um what happened was we we started watching it at house house and uh, people are like you know there's they're in this prison all these guards so we started watching it yeah the night before I don't remember when we, I, you know, I just know you got up early the crack of dawn started doing some push-ups and then you put the movie on. We were oh, all still wow. asleep. 
I don't remember. I mean, it's just possible. It's very possible. But I remember us watching it together because I think everyone, you know, was in. I remember everyone being entertained. And someone said, like, what are the, you know, what, what, why aren't the guards doing anything? And I said, the guards don't care. <laughs> and because because they, they didn't really care because they were, you know, they were emasculated. Because she was, you know, wreaking havoc, I guess. I, anyway. I, I, I got hours of laughter out of the guards. Don't care. Don't yeah, so did I. I. <laughs> so would you often bring movies with you to watch while on tour? Yeah. Anytime we would, like, because Bill had a, a van that had, like, a TV and a VCR or something. I think so. that, yeah, we rented a van that had two. Okay. There was two screens in it with two VCRs. I'm, wow. sure, I'm sure Jim Haas wouldn't watch the same movies as, as Dave. No, would. we had kicked Jim Haas out by then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's he true. He did not get the fancy van. He got the van yeah. with the with the Is it true tires. when you kicked him out, you 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 gave him a shot of bitters? No, that's, yes. that's, a, <laughs> that's a good story. Sort of. We went to a bar where you could like you could buy someone a drink when they weren't there, so that if they showed up, they could so see the blackboard, on the board. A blackboard, yeah, right? the blackboard, and and we were like, let's buy Jim a shot of beer. <laughs> <laughs> he, he told me that story. Yeah, he thought it was great. I'm going to stop the conversation for one second and tell you, if you enjoyed this conversation, there's tons more where this came from. For only five dollars a month, you can get full episodes with each of our guests for a total of five episodes per month. Want to help out with some gas money to get us the next show? We have merch and more at killedbydesk.com. Now let's get back to the show. So Dave, film or music? If you had to give up one, which one would you give up and why? Oh my goodness. I, I couldn't give up either. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, here's the thing I think about, Dave, is, you know, as we get old, first of all, I've ruined my hearing and I'm also at an age where my sight, you know, I feel bad for Bill because he's had sight issues most of his life. <laughs> but I, I'm at the, you know, when I hit a certain point in my 40s and I'm well past that now, my I needed reading glasses. So, you know. I I, I I always think about this question because I'm like, eventually I'm not going to hear well and I won't be able to enjoy music and then I won't be able to see and I won't be able to enjoy movies. So, well, that's really uplifting. You could become an android. No, no. I here's the th- I think that um, I will persevere. You know, I see people. I see people older. I see my mom is aging and she's full of gusto and enjoys life as much as she can. And she still likes watching movies and shows and stuff. I'm not going to give you the answer you're looking for, Dave. Because <laughs> I'm not going to sacrifice either. I know you're still watching new films all the time. Do you still finding bands that you like that are new, even yes. if they're even if they're old new bands? Like, do you listen to new stuff at all, or is it all like finding like? obscure stuff from like the 60s and 70s that's a that's another great question it's mostly going back and it's mostly obscure from the 60s it's obscure stuff from the 60s and 70s or whatever but i love it when i do discover new bands and you know and i do occasionally and i'll tell you i'll give a big plug to mr joe belock who does the three chord monty show on fmu yes because i listen you know he's got great taste i mean we have the same sort of sensibilities so i will hear bands that i that do the kind of music i like and i i pride myself on occasionally showing him a band that he's never heard of so now you're telling me that three card monty's gone virtual too no three chord monty (laughs) oh i thought you were saying that they don't have three card monty no no no, you do it virtually online gambling (laughs) it's a play on words so you're saying i can still go play three card monty on no 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 I'm talking, I'm talking about rock and roll, Charlie. I'm not talking about gambling. You might be the most referenced person playing on the songs where you're referenced. 
Wow. <laughs> I never thought you, of that. If you think about it, there's a lot of songs from different bands that it's, you're in. I don't think there's actually, a single band that doesn't have a so- like two songs about you. Wait, what? Like you you've been in? Was in? Yeah. Yeah. Like while you're playing on in that band. <laughs> oh. It's like you're like the Fleetwood Mac without the sexual element, you know? It's like <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, so, uh, Dave, when you're in a band, you're you're also entertaining the rest of the band. That's true. Okay, that's good. That's Yeah. So are you still doing Swilson? Is that still happening? Yes. Although we're, you know, because of the pandemic, we have it. We we did during the pandemic practice maybe twice, but now everyone's vaccinated, so maybe we'll, you know, start getting active again. So and the first awesome. time I went on tour with Dave, well, first time I went on tour for a weekend with Dave was weird, uh, but but <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. The first time I went on tour, that was that Rhode Island show. That the. Uh, the first time uh, we went on tour together was in Puerto Rico. Yes, and and we were—I think we were in the first like we were definitely one of the first like noisy hardcore bands to play in Puerto Rico. <laughs> we were in the early stages, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but uh, I remember—I feel like uh, Dave and I got—they split the band up, and Dave and I got to stay in this guy's house with his sister, who was a model, and everyone else got to sleep in a barn somewhere in the country. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. I think she, I don't think she was a real model, but she was pretty. No, I think she she was a model. She was going she was going on like modeling auditions. Oh, okay. <laughs> they were all Usually, really nice. That, her, you, his sister, the, 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 that's the sister who was um, really into Janis Joplin, right? I don't remember that part. Yeah. She was really cool. I feel like that's almost like a bad dad joke. Like, like if she was in the barn with the rest of the guys and said, "You can sleep in the barn with my sister as long as you don't have sex with her." Whoa! <laughs> I feel like that's the beginning of every like tasteless, truly tasteless joke. <laughs> Puerto Rico. That was a fun weekend. Uh, it was a. It was a whole week. <laughs> oh, really? Well, the weekend was fun. <laughs> Were you hit with the brick on that? I, I, don't, no, I don't think. I don't think it was a full seven days, though. I think it was a few days. I think it was, it was like, like you know, six days, maybe. Was it that long? Yes, Shit. it was like I think it was six shows. I think okay in seven days or something. Yes. The first show was like they put rope between us and the audience. Did that work? And, it, and also it did. you had to go through you had to go through like a swamp or something to get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Tom from Tom from Medicine Man, Jason Trachtenberg walks his dog. Oh really? That you found that last out? week's guest. Yes. Well he he commented. <laughs> <laughs> so Dave, what else do you think you got? I mean you're doing a lot of stuff. What else do you think you haven't touched yet you might do? Do you think you might teach film or something like that? Or oh, I don't know maybe. what what else? I, what else? I, I don't want to give you too many ideas. You got yeah, only have no, so much no. time in the day, but <laughs> yeah, that's a, you know I, I'm busy enough. My plate is full enough. I, I think I need to. I think I need to get back into physical shape. I wish I had more time to uh, to go back to do some martial arts recreationally. You know. So you haven't done that in a while, or is it just a pandemic? Uh, not really. I, I went and took a, a Muay Thai class at my friend's school just so I could you know acclimate again. Um, uh, but that's a, you know, I, I, I've done a little bit of teaching, um, not fully on professional teaching film stuff. So I sometimes think about doing that somehow in some capacity again, but you know, my, everything is going 60 miles per all the time. So, uh, if the offer was big enough. Would you do an animal crackers reunion? Oh, sure. Why not? What's it like? I mean, what's big enough? Yeah. I feel like I it's know. time now. I mean, they already did the Citizens Arrest hey, I'll tell reunion. You, 
I, I, you know, I'll tell you this, I'd have to, actually, I do know some of those songs. I still know the main riffs, but I mean, we, you know, and also Giannis and I, we're good friends. I know Giannis last week. Yeah, Giannis is awesome. And um, every, all of us, there's Charlie. What Giannis, about Charlie Epidemic? Charlie Epidemic? Yeah, I saw him about maybe five, ten years ago. I want a chimpanzee's reunion. Well, who would sing? John Reed? I no, mean, Ted I would, Leo I would, sing. It would Ted, be Ted, Ted Leo. Ted Leo sing. He'll do. Ted Leo. He would, I think Ted Leo would be really into it, actually. You know, honestly, every time I hear Jesse Girls on the radio, I think of that show on Long Island. Which one? The one, there was a show on Long Island where it was like Animal Crackers and Project 19, mm-hmm. and all these kids tried to sneak in through the window. <laughs> And then one kid, one kid got stuck like Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I always think of that show. You, Charlie, you should write a movie like about all these stories. That would oh, be good. Yeah, yeah that okay. would be good. I like to see I'm this. I like to see a, a show, a movie where a hardcore show happens and the kid gets stuck at the window. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. I like it. All right, I think we got some projects to work on. <laughs> well, I feel like if our podcast ever gets popular enough and we can have one of those like fan fests, I think we should definitely get Animal Crackers to play. That oh, sounds good. Cool. Maybe maybe Crackers. we can do that uh, Nancy Burrell teacher conference. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Will, too. He's still around. I saw him carrying a pizza. Well, sure, why not? <laughs> he, he eats pizza. He, he's, he's still vegan. He was carrying a pizza when I saw him. So? I didn't say. I thought he was in the Meat Cutters Union. Yeah, that was a long <laughs> time ago. I'm glad you still remember that. Of course, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Charlie no, got the Animal Crackers important. tape. You know stuck who was in, in the Meat Cutters like Union too? Zeke from the Guardian Angels. <laughs> yeah, he told me, and I told them I knew somebody who was in that. Did he work? At, does he work at like at a butcher or like at a? He food works market? at Key Food. Okay. Well, I think Will's been vegetarian for the last 20, 30 years. So you're telling me there's no pepperoni on that pizza? Probably not. <laughs> I, didn't no, I don't even know if there was actual real cheese on that pizza. I bet you there was, because this place ain't going to make no, no I, cheese I pizza. Oh, that, pizza. that makes sense. This was not like downtown, you know? This was in Astoria. Not, and not the hipster part of Astoria. God. You're saying that you can't get a vegan pizza over there. <laughs> not this part. This is the part that hasn't been destroyed yet. <laughs> Dave, there's a copy of the I Love the USA 7-inch on Discogs. Discogs. I just, bu- I just bought it for you, so we'll, we'll send it to you. <laughs> no, I never give up the splits, just, Charlie. Just, just watch your vocal cords. Wait, are you talking to me or Charlie? No, Dave. What's wrong with my vocal cords? Do you remember you got your vocal cord paralyzed? Wait, never changed oh, right. right. for like a year. That's, that's true. That did happen. That was the craziest thing ever. What yes. happened? Yeah, almost. <laughs> I, it's a, let's not even get into that story. <laughs> no, but the best part was when, when we played with uh, Chaos UK. Oh, really? Is it we with, did? K, wait. Uh, with Charlie no, UK uh, subs. UK, we played with UK subs. Charlie, Charlie Harper. Charlie Harper came up to you and said, like, I'm like, 25 years older than you and you sound like shit. Probably. He was, he was really cool. Here's the thing. Here's like, the thing. Your I voice know. is so much more fucked up than mine is. No, no. Here's the thing. I talked to, to him and Nicky Garrett, Nicky Garrett, the guitar player, who I actually saw a few years ago when he was he was playing with the, the guy from, what's that, 
Space Rock Hawkwind. But anyway, so Charlie Harper at that time, like they were supposed to be their last, there was 2006, it was supposed to be their last show because he had like throat cancer or something. He was really nice. But then they, they end up playing again <laughs> years later, I heard. Well, he, he was saying he, was, he felt good about his throat cancer after hearing you talk to him for five minutes. I don't remember that part. I mean, he was, uh, my, my memory is that we had a really nice conversation. Oh, yeah, really no, it was friendly. nice, but I, I, that's the only part I heard. I started laughing. Oh, that was during he... that time, huh? Yeah, I don't remember. I don't, no, that, was, that doesn't make sense because that was no, 2000. No, no, no. Because we played with UK, and here's where my memory is kicking in. We played with UK <laughs> subs in 2006, and that thing with my voice happened in 2004. And by 2005, May, my voice came back. All right. Well, I like my story better. What happened to your <laughs> really good, but is this because you didn't change them? The facts don't match up. <laughs> if only we had gotten a little closer into finding out the truth about the brick, but at least we uncovered yes. the truth about that story. We're gonna put Trachtenberg on that. Jason Trachtenberg, that's his name, right? Who? What? Jason Trachtenberg, the the dog walker who we interviewed. Yeah, we're gonna put him on the, this conspiracy with the brick because he freaks. He solved that lab. One. I, I, I thought you were talking about T. Krulos. Yeah, T. Krulos no. would, be, would be good with that too. Oh yeah, both no, of them are Jason into Trachtenberg. Well, J- Jason will write a all these play conspiracies. about the brick. <laughs> I feel like we've assembled quite a, uh, a superhero Avengers esque team of people based on their professions. That if we uh, if we created some kind of community, everyone would have a good role. And and, and Squeaky would do like a go go dance in front of everybody. <laughs> I would love to. Yeah, oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about we didn't even talk about Karen Black. Like like, <laughs> weren't you a dancer for Voluptuous Horror of Karen Black? Yes, started at their second show ever. How did you meet them? Okay, that's a good question. So in in 1989, there was a place downtown in Tribeca called the Collective for Living Cinema, which was a place for filmmakers and experimental film and so forth. And they would show films. You could go there and see like all kinds of cool where films they would show for anything from Argento to um, um, what's that guy? The, you know, all the, the weird avant-garde stuff. Anyway, they, they had film classes and I took a film class with Mike Kuchar. And if you know about film, Mike Kuchar and George Kuchar, the Kuchar brothers were key to the, 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 the New York underground film scene in the sixties. Anyway. So I took this class with him and he's just, the, those brothers were really cool and crazy. The film class was these people, you know, we made a film together on 16 millimeter and we made a film called Splatter Film and it was a horror film. So the first day he's like, oh, I, I know these performance artists. I invited them to come and join the class to be to cast in our in our film. And so, and, and the, this was, they had a building in Tribeca and the class room was in the basement, which was already a perfect film set because it looked like a dungeon. And Mike was like, oh, they're coming. The performance artists are coming. Go let them in. So I went up to the, the, the main door. Canberra from Karen Black and then also Samoa, who was the guitar player, a Japanese guy. When he showed up, he was dressed all in denim, like a denim vest with no sleeves and uh, bell bottoms. And uh, Kember showed up and her friend Vicky, I think. And so I met them and we kind of hit it off. And I was like, oh, you know, my, you know, people call me squeaky and stuff. And she loved that. And so I became friends with them through that filmmaking class and started just sort of seeing them in the, you know, downtown scene. And then she told me about her band and she would do performance art where she like taped bowling balls to her feet and she'd, 
stand on the bowling balls. And the other thing she would do is she would do a headstand while someone would crack an egg on her. And you were the egg cracker at one point? So their second show ever when they had half a band, because the first show was like, I think, recorded music and maybe a, and maybe Samoa playing guitar. So the second show, which I was in, was more of an actual band, but just barely. But it was really a spectacle. So everyone was wearing body paint, and I guess I was wearing body paint. And um, the, the, the finale was, yeah, she stands on her head and she spreads her legs open and I crack the egg in the center between her legs. And, uh, you know. And the eggs are full of paint. Uncle. The eggs were eggs. I don't remember oh. paint oh, in the well, eggs. I saw, the, I saw a later version. The eggs are full of paint. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> we, should get, so, we, should get, we should get Kembra on the show. That would be that would be interesting. Well, how does Kembra make a living? Is she still an artist? Uh, she's, she's around. She's doing something. She's alive. <laughs> I haven't talked to her in a long time, but um, I did that for you know, a few years. Um, you know, I was, you know, uh, one of the performers. Maybe um, she works in her brother's bike shop. Where's her brother's bike shop? That's he's he's the drummer from Drawbreaker. He yeah, like, but I didn't know he had a bike spent, shop in the I believe in New York. I believe they got the big advance from the major label, and he used it to buy a bike shop. But where? A bike shop. In, in, in the Bay Area somewhere. Oh, in the Bay Area. I think she's still in New York. All right, I'm out of questions. <laughs> no, I think we. I think oh, we wait, covered as much. We oh, covered a lot of. We covered a lot of Dave. Dave, okay, you also you. you also unexplainably end up in a Van Elmo reunion video. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I just happened to be walking You're by the screen once Elmo? and I saw you were in it. Yes. Wait, wait, you were doing what? What did you say, Bill? I was just walking by a screen playing videos once, and I was like, Dave is in that video. <laughs> where, where was the screen? At the CBGB or something. Yeah, so my friend um, Amy, Amy and Mike, Michael, um, they somehow got hooked up with Ron Elbow. This is, again, this is like the early to mid-90s. This is Amy who put out our record. Correct. Amy and Michael, yeah. Right. That we saw, we saw young Jesse at her house. Yes, Remember? that was crazy. That was best. <laughs> I love young Jesse, but he's also R.I.P. But yeah, so I don't remember exactly how it went down. I think it was through Karen Black that she connected with me and asked me to be in the Von Elmo video. And maybe there was a Von Elmo Karen Black connection. I think maybe the bands, like I think Von Elmo and Karen Black might have played together. But he was a really weird guy. And I remember Amy, like, years later saying, oh, yeah. And then soon after that video, he, like, ended up going back to jail for armed robbery or something. Yeah. Well, the guy that made that video also made the Sisters oh, Grimm video. That's right. That and, Kurt. Kurt or, uh, yeah. And he uh, he worked for me doing bar mitzvahs. <laughs> I don't even remember what I did in that video, to be honest. Just, was I, I think he just stared at the screen. <laughs> was I like in makeup or anything? No, I think they were just like, you're just in it, just as you. Yeah. It's, it's very it strange. Cause... Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was fun to hang out with all of them. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you've learned anything from this episode, you've learned that Dave Valence will be in your film, your music video, your band. <laughs> <laughs> he will help promote your film. <laughs> well, so like maybe he'll wear body paint. <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah, Hopefully not. I like what Charlie said. <laughs> and maybe, maybe he'll just unveil the painting in, in his apartment. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've been there. I've done that. I don't need to necessarily do all of it again. <laughs> That's it, kids. The gig is up. The cops are here and your mom is calling jails, hospitals, and all your friends' houses wondering where you've been. 
Tune in next week for another fascinating, mesmerizing, and absolutely unmissable episode. And be sure to get on the list and follow the boys on social media at Killed by Desk. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon. And if you enjoyed this conversation, there's tons more where this came from. For only $5 a month, you can get full episodes with each of our guests for a total of five episodes per month. Want to help us out with some gas money and to get us to the next show? We have merch and more at killedbydesk.com.